Happy Easter, everyone. Isn't it good to be in the house of God today? Thank you guys so much for being here in the house. I just want to welcome you guys to Hilton Head Island Community Church. Thank you so much for being here. I want to welcome those of you who are joining online. Thank you guys so much for joining online. The folks behind me in backstage, there's a big group of them back there, and on our backstage patio, why don't we give it up for them here today? All right, thank you guys so much for being a part. I am so glad it's not last year. (laughs) I am so glad that we as a church get to gather together, whether it's digitally, whether it's, uh, you know, in the back room here um, and uh, out on the patio or here in the house. We get to come together real time, and we get to celebrate the risen Savior. And that's what Easter is all about, celebrating the fact that Jesus died, Jesus was buried, and Jesus rose again from the dead. That's what we celebrate on Easter, and it is the greatest, the single most important event. I want you to think about this for a moment. The single most important event that has ever taken place in the history of the world. Jesus rose again from the dead, and today we celebrate that. But I got to tell you, it starts on Friday, doesn't it? It starts on Friday. I don't necessarily like Good Friday. I know it's Good Friday, and I know why it's Good Friday. But as a pastor used to say, Friday's here, but Sunday's coming. And we are excited because we get to celebrate the risen Savior. But Friday's tough, isn't it? Death is difficult. What Jesus went through was excruciating. I want you to think about for a moment the the sequence of events that led to Jesus' death. It was Thursday evening in Jerusalem. He was gathered with his disciples celebrating that Seder Passover meal. They were together celebrating that God had, and remembering that God had delivered his people from the hands of the Egyptians. That was an amazing event, and they always celebrated it. They always celebrated it during this time of year and during this season. And there was Jesus in the upper room with his disciples. And it was like the family meal when somebody accuses somebody of something, and all of a sudden it gets a little awkward right? When Jesus says, one of you is going to betray me, and it was Judas, and Judas gets up and leaves. Have you ever had that happen at a family dinner? So he just gets up and leaves. That's what Judas did. He got up and he left. And Jesus then, after the meal was over, he knew what he was going through. He, the anticipation of what he was going through was so great that he retreated into the Garden of Gethsemane. By the way, it's called the place of press or the pressing because it was a place where olives were pressed together to get the olive oil. I love that. It's a beautiful, beautiful metaphor of what Jesus was going through and was about ready to go through. And he went there to retreat and to pray. And while he was there around midnight or so, the Jewish leaders came because Judas had given Jesus up and they came and they accused Jesus and they charged him with religious crimes. And he went through three trials in a matter of just a few hours, in the wee hours of the morning on Friday morning of Holy Week, of Easter. And they found him guilty of those charges enough that they could then have the prerogative to pass him on to the Roman authorities. And they passed him on to the Roman authorities. And Jesus then went through several, three other trials. And he was found guilty. And he was condemned. And he was convicted. And then he was scourged and beaten and mocked. And denied. And by 9 a.m., think about that for a moment. 
At midnight, he was praying in the garden. And by 9 a.m., in just nine short hours, he went from a man who had a following, a rabbi who was with his disciples in the upper room just hours earlier. Now it was 9 a.m., the third hour, as they called it in that day and age. And, and it was, he was nailed to a cross. His hands pierced, as you saw. His feet pierced with those nails. And they lifted that cross up in the air and dropped it down into a pre-dug hole. And as they dropped it down, Jesus' body, the weight of his body, would have pulled away from the cross. And his hands would have bled a little bit more. And the tendons would have pulled a little bit more. And his back would have rubbed against the splintered wooden cross. By 9 a.m., he was hanging there on that cross. And I'm going to pick up the story as it's read from the Gospel of Mark because I want you to think about all that happened during Jesus' crucifixion because I want to talk this morning about the gift that he gave us in his death but the gift that he gave us in his resurrection. Mark 15, verse 33 says this, And when the sixth hour had come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. When the sixth hour had come, that's midday, that's noon, by the way, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. It says darkness because it was pitch black. God supernaturally understood what was going on, and there were a series of events that supernaturally uh, happened during that period of time that indicated the, the, the darkness that Jesus was going through. He felt deserted. Mark 15, 34 says, At the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, God, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He was repeating a verse that David had written when David felt like God had abandoned him from Psalm chapter 22. Jesus knew that God had not left him, but he was reflecting back on what David said. Because at that moment, listen, I don't want you to miss this. Whether you're watching online here in the house, backstage, backstage patio, I don't want you to miss this. At that moment, Jesus was suffering physically. We've already talked about that and you've seen that, but he was suffering in a more deep way. He was suffering in such a dramatic, deep, painful way because in that moment, he was carrying on his shoulders the sins of the whole world. From the beginning of time, God had established that there needed to be something to take away sins. The Old Testament was a perfect lamb that was slain. And now it was the perfect lamb who was hanging on the cross that took the sin, took the weight of sin, took the punishment of sin that we have, that sin that keeps us from God. The Bible says that God can't even look upon sin. And Jesus took that for you on himself. And so no wonder in that moment he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And then in Mark 15, verse 37, skipping down to verse 37, Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last. Some theologians believe that the cry that he might have had in that moment was the cry from John 19, verse 20, when Jesus says, it is finished. The work of redemption was done. It was done. Darkness at noon, death, feeling like he 
was deserted by God. Disorientation among the crowd. And then dismay, Mark 15, 38 and 39 says this, the curtain of the temple was torn into two. That would have been a miracle. And I'm not going to go into the details. I don't have time to go into the details. But that would have been a miracle. It could have only been that the Son of God had died for that thick, thick curtain to be ripped in two from top to bottom. A great picture of how the separation between us, sinful man, and a perfect, fully righteous God was now separated because Jesus took it on the cross. And I am so thankful because as Paul says, the Apostle Paul, and I say I'm the chief of sinners. I'm so thankful for that. We see in Mark 15, verses 42 all the way through 47, I'll summarize it for you, that Joseph of Arimathea, this man who was a member of the Sanhedrin, the leading uh, council of religious Jewish leaders of that day, but he was a secret Jesus follower. How cool is that? It'd make great for a great movie, wouldn't it? <laughs> Joseph of Arimathea. And he asked Pilate for Jesus' body because he wanted to gift his family's tomb, a tomb for his family. And uh, 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 when he asked that question to Pilate, Pilate was shocked that Jesus had already died. In fact, he had to go to a centurion and ask him, is this really true? And the centurion said, yes, he's dead, he's gone. And Joseph took the body and put it in the tomb and rolled a stone away, the stone that would have, it would have weighed several tons that just a few people, a few strong men couldn't have moved by themselves. It would have sunk down into a deep hole in front of this tomb, securing that Jesus was in the tomb, that he was dead, that he was in the tomb. And the reason that I want to talk about Friday first is for you to know two things. Number one, it was Jesus' death on the cross that takes our sin away. And that's part of what we do celebrate on Easter Sunday is that our sins are gone. The cast as far as the east is from the west. Past present and future. They're gone. They're gone. We can no longer live. We no longer have to live in bondage. We can live in freedom, as we've sang about this morning. But the second thing is, is that Jesus' death itself is one of the evidences of his resurrection. There are a lot of people that would say, I don't believe that Jesus died. I believe that before he died, the Romans took him off the cross and did away with him, put him in a secret place for the rest of his life, however long he lived. And the fact is, is that there are multiple, multiple, multiple upon multiple documents describing Jesus' death, even in addition to the Bible. There's evidence beyond measure that Jesus did die. In fact, the Journal of American Medical Association, they produced a study years ago of Jesus' death, and they concluded that Jesus was dead before that, that uh, spear pierced his side. That he had already died by that point. Even atheist scholar Gerd Luderman said that it's historically indisputable that Jesus was dead. Listen, I want you to hear today that the death of Jesus is conclusive. There's not a scholar anywhere with any belief, even atheist, that would argue that Jesus wasn't dead as he hung on that cross and he was placed in that tomb. The Romans, listen, I want you to hear this. The Romans, they, they knew a lot of things, but one of the things they knew best was how to kill people by crucifixion. They did that extremely well. And they did it well to Jesus. 
A lot of scholars believe in studies that the Romans would have put no less than 10 to 30 guards in front of that tomb. And by the way, if they had put Jesus somewhere to live out the rest of his life, when the rise of Jesus' followers happened over the next course of the next decades, why wouldn't they have like found his body to say, hey, we got to do away with this whole thing. This is causing us all kinds of problems. Here he is. Here he is. That's what they would have done. It's a logical thing, right? That's what would have happened today. It would have been all kind of like shows on Nightline, and there'd be special you know, programs on it, and the internet would be going crazy over it. Listen, I want you to hear. Jesus' death is conclusive. Friday was a dark day, but Sunday was beautiful, just like it is today. Sunday was beautiful because Jesus rose from the dead. The stone was moved away. There were people that went to to help him out. And in Luke, we see it in Luke 24, verses 1 through 2. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking spices that they had prepared, these ladies, and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. That would have shocked them when they showed up. Jesus was supposed to be in there. His body was supposed to be in there, and this this stone was rolled away. It would have been the first indicator, kind of the canary in the coal mine, a giant red flag that something was amiss. Something had happened. Luke 24, verse 3, tells us that his body was missing, but when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. His body was gone. His body was gone. And the Romans and other people that have argued against the resurrection, they've argued and they've said that, well, somebody came in and they stole his body. Do you think that somebody who was a follower of Jesus could have organized a group of people? By the way, these followers of Jesus that were so cowardly that one denied him in his moment of crisis and the other betrayed him? Do you think these guys could have taken 10 to 30 Roman soldiers? Moved a stone that weighed several tons and taken his body? I don't think so. And they saw that his body was gone. And there were angels in Luke 24, 4 through 6. How about this Easter Sunday? Ready for this? While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. They weren't models. They were angels. And as they were frightened, you bet they were frightened, and bowed their faces to the ground, these men said to them, and I want you to hear this, I want you to hear this, church, I want you to hear this, why do you seek the living among the dead? Why did you come to a tomb to find the one who is alive? Listen, church, I want you to hear this. This is what we do every time that we look to the world for salvation. We're looking for something that's living among the the dead. Jesus is the one who's alive. He's the one that provides us salvation. And as they were frightened and bowed their head and faces to the ground, they said, why do you seek the living among the dead? Verse 6 says, he is not here, but he is risen. And then they remind, the angel reminded them, angels reminded them, remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee. Verse 7 of Luke 24 says that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and on the third day rise, and they remembered his words. It's kind of a gentle reminder. Hey, uh, ladies, you shouldn't be surprised. He told you this would happen. 
You became followers of him. You remember? Do you remember what he said? Do you remember what he said? And they remembered his words. And then the news spread, like news does, in Luke 24, 9 through 12. I love this. In returning from the tomb, they told all of these things to the 11. There were now just 11. Something happened to Judas. It's a whole other message. And to all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary, the mother of James, and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. And I heard one pastor say, always believe what the women say. Amen. <laughs> that was a freebie. All right. But these words seemed to them an idle tale. I want you to remember that for a second. These words seemed to the apostles like an idle tale, and they did not believe them. I'm going to come back to that in a moment. But Peter rose. Peter rose and ran into the tomb, stooping and looking in. He saw the linen cloths. We just saw that on the video themselves. And then he went home marveling at what had happened. Now, I tell you the story of the death of Jesus because I want you to know that in his death, your sins were taken care of. Wouldn't you love it if someone handed you a check right now and said, all of your debts have been paid? That would be a really good Easter. I want you to know that all of your debts have been paid for eternity. For eternity they've been paid. We're not talking about money. We're not talking about temporal, earthly things. We're talking about eternity. You have and can have a relationship with God because of what Jesus did on the cross. And I want you to know about the resurrection. Because in the resurrection, in Jesus defeating death, he gives you eternal life. Because he defeated death, when you die, if you put your faith, if you put your belief in him, one day when you die, you too can be alive. You too can be alive. And Lee Strobel talks about four different categories of evidences to support the resurrection. And one of them uh, we've just talked about, and that is the death of Jesus. The, the others are early accounts. There, are, there, are, um, you know, there was uh, the story of a legend that Jesus was just a legend that all this didn't happen. But we actually have in the form of creed and written accounts, a, a news clipping, if you will, from, get this, one, one to two months away from Jesus' death manuscripts that we found through the years. And as he says, this guy that was an atheist who tried to you know, prove that Jesus' death and resurrection was phony and false, and in the process of doing so, he proved that it was true. He said that's historical gold to be one to two months away from the event that took place and to find it that long ago. Verified. Early accounts prove it. The empty tomb proves it. Everyone concedes that the tomb was empty. Even the Romans conceded. Otherwise, they would have produced his body. I already talked about that. His opponents would have absolutely produced his body if they had had it because of the rise of Jesus' followers. And then we have eyewitness accounts. By the way, including the New Testament, no less than nine, nine, nine documents. That's also historical gold from that long ago. 
of Jesus' resurrection, that his body wasn't there. And I want you to hear that the death of Jesus is conclusive, but I want you to hear also that the resurrection of Jesus is conclusive as well. It's true. The resurrection of Jesus, though, for some of you, listening, watching, in here, backstage, backstage patio, for you, and I get it because I was there. I've been there. For you, it may seem like a fairy tale. It may seem like those disciples, when the, the women came to them and they thought that was uh, something that was, um, you know, maybe a, a, an idle tale. They thought it was impossible. They thought it was fantasy. And we have to admit that it, at the outset, when we first hear about God sending his son, this man who was a rabbi, who some call a prophet, they only call him a prophet, that this man died. And then he was gone and he rose again from the dead. Sometimes it's, it's hard to believe. And church Christ follower, or those of you who may be here because you're a skeptic and someone was like, hey, it's Easter, so you have to go to church. I'm paying for breakfast. I get that, right? Yeah. Like, hurry up, pastor, so we can go to breakfast. Um, some of you may be skeptics. Some of you may be struggling with this. And I'm just going to be really honest with you for a moment and tell you that sometimes... The church has not created the best environment for you to honestly ask some of those skeptical questions, some of those things that you may wonder about, some of those things that like, you may think, I, I, want, I want to talk about this because it seems to me like an idle tale. It seems to me like fantasy, but I don't want to embarrass myself or feel judged. I, I want you to know that you need a safe place to be able to talk about those things where you don't feel judged We've got something like that. Because here's the thing. The resurrection of Jesus may seem like a fairy tale or fantasy to you. And I, I want you to work that out. We've got something that I, I want you to hear about that maybe can help you with that. Check this out. Faith is not a destination. It's a journey. And some of you are on this faith journey and you've just started out, or maybe you're restarting, or maybe you've been on this journey for years or maybe even decades, or maybe you're the type of person that right now is just skeptical about God, Jesus, the Bible, and church. More than likely, wherever you are on that journey, you have questions. And we've got an environment for you where you can ask some of those questions and those questions will turn into a faith conversation without pressure or judgment. It's called Starting Point, and it's an eight-week gathering where a faith conversation happens to help answer some of those great questions that you may have. Today, I have with us Tanya Hagedorn and Michelle Best. And Tanya, Michelle, thank you guys so much for being with us. You all have been through Starting Point. You guys were on this journey and went through this gathering. Uh, tell us, Tanya, how and why really you started uh, Starting Point, why you decided to be a part of this. Okay, so the reason I started Starting Point was because my husband was kind of new to the church and the whole idea of everything involved, and um, I felt someone else answering the questions was going to be better for him. Um, so when I saw it, I thought it would have been a great place for him to go, and obviously I was going to go with him. Um, and then in the meantime, I kind of learned some stuff myself, so I thought it was it was good for everybody. That's awesome. I love it. I love it. Michelle, why did you jump in and be a part of Starting Point? Yeah, so for me, I grew up in a spiritual home. Um, we did church and Bible study every week. 
And then when I became a teenager, that kind of dwindled off a little bit, um, went to college, and then I moved here. And so I was just very inconsistent about um, God in my life and attending church. I still believed, but I just didn't put the effort in. And so I started coming here to Hilton Head Island Community Church about two years ago. And um, I saw the groups, and that was a little intimidating. So, <laughs> sure. yep. get that. Um, but about six months in, I saw the starting point study, and I thought that is probably a really good place to start because people may be on the same, maybe spot that I am. Absolutely. And I think a lot of people can relate to, to your story where wherever you started your faith journey, that home of origin, um, and then you become an adult and maybe things just kind of fade away a little bit. Tanya, tell us a little bit about the class itself, the environment itself of Starting Point. Okay, the environment of Starting Point, um, it's very casual. We had it over at the community center. Um, there was uh, two group leaders, and they just happened to be husband and wife, but they um, were the ones that were answering questions for us and just leading us along the way. We watched videos by Andy Stanley, which is the study guide, and then you also had a study guide, and you followed it, and you did some reading, and then you'd come back the following week, and you'd discuss it. Um, and I started it because I thought that it was a good place for my husband, who had not been very much involved with the church at all and had a lot of questions and I thought that those answers would be best coming from someone else besides myself. So it's, that's why we chose it. Michelle, tell us a little bit about your journey in Starting Point, how maybe some of those dots got connected for you spiritually. Yeah, so prior to even coming to the church, um, I, when I would sit down to read the Bible and, you know, start that process, I always went to Genesis and that was, you know, and then I would, you know, get through and then it was like, okay, now what? Um, but doing starting point, Andy Stanley points out that for Christians, our starting point is really with Jesus. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So we just, you know, really dove into that piece of it and, and it was awesome. And the environment there was like, I felt so comfortable asking questions, even if there were some questions that I asked, but this sounds maybe a little stupid, but um, I felt very comfortable doing that. Let's talk about takeaways. You know, there's kind of the, the uh, part of it where you learn head knowledge, if you will, but tell us what were some takeaways, Tanya, what were some takeaways for you? Um, what I remember standing out big time for me was when Andy Stanley pointed out that not everybody's journey starts at the same place and that's I guess where the whole concept comes from because there are people in there that have never opened the Bible in their life or have were a part of a church group and then they strayed for whatever reason and he pointed out that a lot of people will be a part of a church and never really wake up and decide one day that they don't want to go anymore but it just like happens and a lot of times that's because the church didn't meet them where they were maturity wise like so when you're a kid and you're learning about these fairy tales they don't meet you to where they're no longer fairy tales anymore and I felt like that happened to me and um, it was interesting that that's a lot of people and so we had some people in there that were the same way. Tell, tell me a little bit more about the fairy tale thing. I love that right. you said that because I think there's a lot of people that can relate. Tell us yeah, about that. Yeah, because I have two little boys and you know you tell them the stories and it does kind of sound Santa, Chris, you know, Easter, runny, all that stuff kind of is the same where you're, hear, you're learning stories about seas partying and walking on water. It sounds 
fairy tale-ish, but then when you get a little bit older and there's no more Santa or Easter Bunny, nobody really meets you at the deeper meaning of these stories and that's when it just kind of makes it easy to just walk away. Not like you made a decision, but it just kind of made it easy. Love so that. I'm excited that being a part of this church, my children are going to get met <laughs> at the right spot. So, Michelle, tell us about some of your takeaways. Yeah, so for me, I, you know, this gave me more confidence in um, being able to speak about my Christianity and about the Bible. And um, I even, so after I did Starting Point, I did another Bible study. And, and now I'm in a small group as well. And so I've been able to, well, Tanya and I both have been able to invite, you know, some friends to that group that, you know, haven't really had any experience with Christianity in their life. So it's like fills my bucket to be able to help people learn that as well. So great that you guys have explained so much about how um, it really has kind of filled in some of those gaps um, in your life in terms of your spiritual journey, understanding God and the Bible and that sort of thing. But one of the things I think it also does is acclimate us to what Starting Point does is acclimate us to this idea of connecting in groups. Can you tell us uh, how that solidified for you? Yeah, so we um, also did, I did the same thing as Michelle, and I did the following Bible study that follows up to, um, to Starting Point, and then after that we decided to create our own group of moms, of young children, and so we're all kind of in the same place as far as our life journey, um, but our spiritual journeys might be in different places, um, and it's just been a great place to come together and learn about each other. Um, dig deeper into the Bible because I feel like starting point was more of a, just a very kind of broad overview and introducing and this is us digging deeper and really kind of figuring out those meanings of all those things and it's been awesome we've got that sense of community. Tanya, Michelle, thank you guys so much for sharing about starting point and your experience in starting point. If you have questions about God or Jesus and the Bible or if you want to be a part of a conversation about this faith journey, wherever you are on that faith journey, whether you've been a Christ follower for a long time, or this is brand new, or you're restarting, or maybe you're a skeptic, I want to encourage you. In fact, I want to challenge you to be a part of Starting Point. With every decision that we make, we ask questions, don't we? Every decision we make, we ask questions. Whether or not to buy the house, buy the car, what college are you going to go to? How are you going to pay for it? We're dealing with that right now in our house. <laughs> or are you going to go to eat after church, after this guy's done? <laughs> you ask questions, you have discussion, you talk about things big and small, but the greatest decision, the biggest decision that you can make, people don't ever get to discuss it. That wasn't just an ad. That's a discussion about your eternity, potentially. And I want to encourage you to ask questions. I want to encourage you to live a life that is just like Jesus raised to life. 
The first thing that Christ followers are instructed to do in the Bible, it doesn't connect with salvation, but it's the first act of obedience, is baptism. We've got baptism coming up. You're going to hear Justin talk about that uh, here in a few minutes. But Romans 6, verse 4, Paul, when he's talking about the new life in Christ, he, he relates it to baptism. He says, or relates baptism to the new life in Christ. We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead, that's Easter, by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Listen, it's been a dark year, hasn't it? It's been kind of a Friday, good Friday kind of year or more for all of us. We've seen death all around us. We've seen division all around us. We've seen discord all around us. Some of you have had your businesses destroyed or ripped apart, your families separated. It has been an amazingly difficult year for us, one of the most difficult years in the course of human history, definitely over the last hundred years. But I got to tell you, the story of Easter is not just for eternity. It's for the here and now, too, because we can walk in that newness of life. We, when we accept Jesus Christ as our Savior, when we do that in Him alone, and by the way, the Bible clearly states that it's in Him alone. Acts 4 verse 12 says there is no, there's salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under, which, under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says, for by grace you have been saved through faith. It's a gift, not of your own doing, not a result of works, so that no one can boast. Listen, we've been in darkness for a long time, but we don't have to be. We can walk in the light. We can have this newness of life. But here's what I want you to hear. Wherever you are, at some point in your spiritual journey, at some point in your life, you have to decide who Jesus is. You have to decide what you are going to do with Jesus. When those angels referenced to the ladies that have forgotten that Jesus talked about the resurrection, here's what they were referencing. John eleven twenty five and 26, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever, what's that next word? Believes in me. Though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone, everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. And he ends with this question, do you believe this? Life is short. Life can end in a moment. Just a few hours yesterday before um, we had our service, I got news of someone who is very meaningful in my life who passed away. No sicknesses, no illness in the middle of the night. Life is short. Listen, I want you to hear, life can end in a moment. And that's not to be morbid or sad, but listen, I want you, wherever you are in your life, if you're skeptical about the resurrection, if you're skeptical about Jesus' death and resurrection, I want to plead with you right now that life is short and it can end in a moment, in the blink of an eye. And I want you 
to have put some thought, to have put some time, to have put some serious effort into this question, do you believe this, Jesus? Do you believe that he rose again from the dead? At some point in time, you have to trust things in your life, and everything becomes clear as day once you begin to trust But the one thing that is most important, the one thing that lasts for eternity, so many people, so many people, their life will end in that moment, and they will never have put anything into it. The person I'm talking about put his faith in Jesus about a decade ago, and today he lives again. Just like Jesus was raised to life, he was raised to life yesterday. And I want you to have the same thing, eternity with God in heaven when you die. My last question is, do you believe this? I'm going to pray a prayer right now, whether you're watching, whether you're backstage, whether you're here in this room. I'm going to pray a prayer. And this prayer, there's nothing magical about the words. It's very very short. But if you've never believed in Jesus, I, I want to challenge you to do that right now. I want to challenge you to make Jesus your Savior to put your trust in him and him alone for salvation so that you have no worries about eternity. So that your worries can just focus on the stuff of this earth. You know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you know where you're going. I've talked about my middle school boys soccer team here recently and they were kind of getting a little crazy on the field the other day and, and I said, hey guys, act like you know what you're doing. Act like you know what you're doing. Man, the confidence that a Christ follower has because they know that they've got eternity settled is amazing, and I want you to have that too if you've never put your faith in him. So would you pray with me? I love the words of C.S. Lewis. He says, I believe in Christianity. I believe in Jesus as I believe that the sun is risen, not only because I see it, but because by it, I see everything else. And Father, right now I pray in the strong name of Jesus that you would allow those who are here today, those who are within the sound of my voice, those who may be watching online, in backstage, on the backstage patio, Father, I pray that you would allow them to see you. And God, if there's anyone who's never put their faith in you for eternity, who's never believed in you to be their savior, Father, I pray right now in the strong name of Jesus that you would prompt them to pray this prayer or something like it. If you want to become saved, if you want to know that you're going to heaven for sure, forever, no doubts, I want to challenge you to put your faith in Jesus because life can end in a moment. Be prepared. Be ready. I want to invite you to pray a prayer like this. God, thank you for bringing me here to this place right now. Thank you for sending Jesus to die for my sins. Thank you for going through the pain of the cross so that I can be accepted by God. And thank you for rising again from the dead so that I can have eternal life. Help me now to follow you. 
If you prayed that prayer or something like it and you're here in this room, I'm going to ask you to do something pretty bold with every head bowed and every eye closed. It's just you and me. I promise I won't embarrass you. I can't stand being embarrassed. But I'm going to ask you just to raise your hand and look up at me so that I can pray for you. Would you do that right now if you prayed that prayer or something like it? Would you raise your hand and look up at me for a moment so I can pray for you? I'm just going to quietly pray for you. Anyone? Awesome. If you're in the backstage or backstage patio, or if you're watching or listening online, whether it's now or you know, live or some other time, would you let us know about your decision? If you're here in this room, would you let us know about your decision, the greatest decision that you've ever made, you've just made right now? It's for eternity. It's forever. I'm so excited. Father, you say the angels rejoice when people accept you as their Savior. And Father, I thank you that this weekend we've seen people move from a place of darkness to light, from Uh, eternal hell to heaven with you eternally from death to life and I thank you that you were the God who decided that you would do what you did and you defeated death we give you praise and we give you glory and honor for your resurrection thank you so much for Easter thank you for Jesus and in your name we pray and all God's people said amen amen